You know, if you think back to the post-resurrection accounts, what essential proofs did Jesus give that he was alive? What did he indicate to his disciples? What did he show forth to illustrate to them that death did not have the final word? Here are three that reappear in all the accounts. I mean, the first is obvious, right, that he appeared. He appeared, and now St. Paul is helpful here in saying that and drawing a distinction between the spiritual vision that he had being caught up to the seventh heaven and encountering Jesus on the road. They're not the same thing. Jesus appeared in bodily form. For example, the apostles who are locked in the upper room. Here, touch my wounds. See that I'm real. So he appeared to them, and then, obviously, he spoke with them. You might think especially of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Those two disciples, Jesus came up alongside, he appeared to them, but in a form that they couldn't recognize him. He's the same but different. Something is new. But he spoke to them, and they said their hearts were like on fire as he spoke to them, talked to them. So he appeared. He spoke to them, and then also as In the instance of the Emmaus account, he shared a meal with them. He consistently ate with his disciples. Think of the apostles going fishing after the resurrection and Jesus calling out from the seashore, have you caught anything, children? No. Well, throw your nets on the other side. And they hauled a huge catch ashore. It's the Lord, John said. And Peter jumped into the water. There was Jesus on the shore with charcoal, fire, and food. Appearing, speaking, and sharing a meal. Now, this is fascinating. In St. Luke's accounts of Jesus sharing a meal, eating with the disciples, what's rendered as eating or sharing a meal is literally eating salt with them. That's a little literal translation. We never hear that. It's never translated that way for us. But literally, in St. Paul and in St. Luke's accounts, it's always eating salt with them. Now, there are multiple places in the Old Testament where this occurs, either eating bread and salt together or just eating salt. In each place, it had to do with establishing a lasting covenant. So look, there's already a connection with the Last Supper, the new and eternal covenant. He's drawing upon that when he's eating salt with his disciples. Salt symbolized durability. It held off and holds off putrefaction. It prevents meat from spoiling, from decaying. So it was used in temple sacrifices to keep the meat pure, at least for a longer time. So it's connected with the cross, that unblemished sacrifice or offering. But it's also connected with the bread of life discourse. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. Decay is at work. Putrefaction is working on you. Generally speaking, eating holds death at bay. Sharing a meal with Jesus, eating salt, does so in a definitive way. Now, what did St. Paul say in our second reading? Those who don't work, shouldn't eat. It's something like what parents might do. I think parents still do this. To discipline, maybe punish your child. 
okay, you're going to go to bed without dinner? And what's the inner logic of that? Your choices, your way of life is not fruitful. It's not life-giving. And that physical pain that you're feeling testifies to that fact. Your choices are not keeping death at bay, but are welcoming them in a spiritual way. The physical is a reminder of the spiritual. In just a few verses in St. Paul's letter, second letter to the Thessalonians that we heard from, he uses the phrase stepping out of line. It's translated for us as disorderly, but it really should bring to mind like a drill team, our marching band, who acts in unison. He's saying you're not acting in unison. Right, so he's saying, look, when we were with you, we ministered to you, we preached to you, we taught, and a minister deserves his pay. But we gave you a good example by not taking that pay, but actually doing other work to provide for ourselves. We made tents. But there are some of you who are not working. You're stepping out of line. You see, in the Jerusalem community of the church at that time, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, deposited their property, their possessions with the apostles, and the apostles distributed those to the believers, to those who are in need. In St. Paul's community, at least in this one and in others, the individual Christians retained their property, they retained their possessions, but loving support of the community was expected, as was the practice in Mediterranean families of Paul's day. The church is like that, he's saying, which is the reason why he often used familiar terms, brothers and sisters, or he spoke of himself as father to Timothy, for example. You're a family, but some are stepping out of line. They're taking others for a ride, taking advantage of them. This is not love, Paul is saying. Nor is it love to remain silent and allow these people to live a lie. For death is actually overtaking them. Those who do not work should not eat. You see, Paul's prohibition is just manifesting this inner reality. It seems to hold true both at the natural, the biological level, and at a supernatural one. I mean, you can steal, step out of line, take others for a ride, and cover over this reality, but it doesn't change your underlying spiritual state. If you're physically capable of working, of doing your part in the community, you are spiritually in line only if you do so. It's possible for eating salt with Jesus to be an empty gesture, just as sharing a family meal can be an empty gesture if a member is choosing not to contribute to the life of the family. So think about it in terms of home life, chores. Kids, you got to be contributing. You must be contributing to the life of the family. You must assume responsibility, develop in your maturity. Don't take advantage of mom and let her do all the work. You think of it in terms of life at home, chores, duties, sharing what has been given to you, extending goodwill to others around you, creating a supportive environment, 
showing mutual respect and love, demonstrating reciprocity. That is, we're on the same team here. Let's work together. But it's also true in this family, too. I mean, you can think about it in a direct, immediate way. I mean, the most obvious way. You know, corresponding to your age and ability, well, there's financial support, right? But that's not all that takes for a parish to be alive. There's moral support, working, helping. We've emphasized this with families with kids at Catholic schools or in our religious ed programs. I mean, there's no way that you, you can achieve this on your own. It takes the community support, so it only makes sense that you're contributing to the life of the family. Otherwise, we'd be taking advantage of the family. I mean, clearly, this is supportive of parents seeking to instill responsibility because you can't compartmentalize. You can't say we'll be responsible at home but not responsible here. Otherwise, kids will learn very quickly that your system of values is simply arbitrary. Where do the ways you spend your time and money suggest you locate your source of nourishment, food, salt? Those who don't work shouldn't eat. St. Paul's words are relevant for each one of us. We think of it directly here, but also indirectly. In your vocation as lay people, by being leaven in the world, by working at prayer, by working to bring the light of faith and hope into a dark world, into negative discussions or gossip with friends or service to the poor or love for the neglected. As it always is with God, the prohibitions, the thou shalt nots, are present so that we can say a greater yes, so that we're freer, freer from selfishness, from taking advantage of others, and therefore more available for the specific work to which God has called each of us in this life. God has given you work that only you can do. Work with him. He's eager to work with you and to eat with you.